Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and this is Jonathan Starkey with your favorite digital pub called Cheshire Matters with our usual group of panelists, and we've got so much to talk about tonight. So let me just ask, Statsman, are you there? I'm here, Jonathan. Hello, and hello to everyone in Cheshire. Ah, great. The Gazelle, Mr. Trevor Nichols, are you here, sir? I certainly am, Jonathan, and good, good evening to Cheshire. Kesha or Cheshire? Cheshire. How many digital pints have you had already, sir? <laughs> and to our man, nicknamed The Raven, although we know him as Lycra Man, Mr. Stephen Ingram, are you there, sir? I am. Good evening, gentlemen, and hello this evening to all our friends across Cheshire. Okay. Right, well, this has been a really, really interesting week. I mean, there's so much happening. I mean, the EU is tearing itself apart. Keir Starmer says he's comfortable with displaying patriotism. Did you get that? Well, it doesn't wash with me. It really does not wash with me. I've never seen such fake branding in all my life. Well, there you go. And the police, being offensive is an offence. I don't think so. I'm just going to start off... Uh, tonight with the story that I was talking about last week, which is about Nicola Sturgeon. You know, the war between her and Alex Salmond? Well, it's come to a massive head. I mean, it got to the point now where he was actually saying, that's it. She lied. And she's, she's actually tried to undermine uh, him in a lot of different ways. And he's not having it. It was quite obvious from the interview that took place today with him at the hearing that, uh, you know, he was on a mission. Go ahead, Mark. What do you want to comment on? Go ahead. I don't think we really know what Nicola Sturgeon's been up to because wasn't all the evidence that was pointing to her way redacted? Ooh. No. Well, he wouldn't come on. He wouldn't come to the hearing unless, you know, he was able to to speak about it. I think that was the, that was the case. And uh, he... Definitely, definitely, he said that uh, democracy in Scotland had been failed by the leadership. And mm -hmm. by the leadership, he's talking about Nicola. Now, in a lot of ways, uh, you know, we should, we should be happy about that war going on because, quite simply, it'll actually keep the union together because this woman is hell-bent on splitting up this country. I, for the life of me, I don't know why. But anyway, this has come about and... You know, long may it continue. <laughs> so we keep our friends, the great Scottish people, as part of the union. Now, um, Steve, last week you said that you were going to talk about the sovereign fund and you were going to bring this up and you were going to speak in more detail about it. So, sir, you have the pub floor. Go ahead. Yes, that's right. Um, thank you very much. I was looking into the idea of sovereign wealth funds, which happen in a lot of countries. And um, ironically, today I've seen an article of, of, about something which I consider to be a little bit related. And uh, apparently there's lots of teenagers all over the country now um, who are perhaps unaware that um, between 2001, I think it was, and 2000, no, 2002 and 2011, a fund was set up for these, these kids when they were born and as they come to 18 years of age, there's roughly, give or take, uh, about £2,000 in a fund for these uh, kids when they're, they're turning 18. 
And it was set up in a, a trust fund in their name by the government, this is. And uh, this has come to light today. So there's lots of kids all over the country, um, perhaps not aware, they've got a fund available to them on turning 18 if they if they fit into that time frame. But that, that aside... What about the people that have gone past 18, maybe two or three or maybe four times? <laughs> Do they... Do they get access to this fund? Well, uh, I'm not that far down the line myself, um, <laughs> you know. Um, but the idea it is, uh, I've we been weren't thinking, talking to you. Oh, see, right. We weren't referring to you because we know that you are three times past that age. <laughs> well, we won't go there. I, I actually feel much younger than my age, but we're digressing here. The 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 point is, I've been thinking a great deal about uh, the national debt for some time, and obviously that's been growing because of the situation for the past 12 months or so. And what I'm a little bit concerned about is not only the level of the national debt, but also the fact that the way the government operates, it simply collects money via taxation, etc., and then uses that money to provide all of the services and things that we need as a country. Now, I actually think there is a case for distributing some of the wealth created more fairly. I am a firm believer in a free market society. I don't believe in the complete opposite end of the scale where everything is owned and run and controlled by the state. I don't, I don't buy into that. Now, I do believe that there are, there are excesses uh, within the capitalist system, which uh, to some degree, the, the worst end, are not sharing some of that wealth out in the way I think they should be. So my view is that a certain percentage of the government taxation should be spread across investment funds into uh, uh, stock market funds on behalf of literally everybody within the country. So say, for instance, anybody um, who is under the age of 18, that money is invested for them. They can cash that in uh, if they wish or draw uh, some form of uh, small income from that fund that's generated. And depending on where you are in life, you know, you can sort of have this fund building up. And actually, people can use this um, as a tax-free investment or a form of income by distributing some of the wealth from the, from the country created. Tell me something. Lads, do you think that um, Steve is a closet socialist? Anybody there? Possibly. Seems <laughs> that way, doesn't it? Yeah. I've just got another point to add to that as well. So I think that's a great idea. But would we have a future Gordon Brown? Pillage it. No, mm. I would like to think that basically... Um, these funds are a tax rate. They don't affect any other form of taxation that people are um, uh, duly bound by or, or benefits or anything like that. We've got to start leveling the playing field a little bit in terms of distributing some of this wealth created. And actually, I was talking about this to some degree with Mark the other week, and uh, it came up that effectively... Um, once the government starts doing this, investing in um, in businesses on behalf of the, the the people, you then run the risk of that going too far, where things become owned outright by the state. Now, I would simply apply a mechanism to that, whereby the government could in invest no more than twenty five percent of a share of a company in any one organisation, but. I'm going to put something together. I'm going to write to Rishi Sunak on this because I actually think it's got merit. We, we're seeing, I've seen it in, in the area that I've lived in for 50 odd years where on a cycle, 
generation after generation, people are simply living the same type of life. And actually, I think there's a case for starting to apply through government policy some of the rules of the rich to ordinary people by way of distributing that wealth. We seem to have two sets of rules, one for the rich and one for the poor. Now, why can't we have a bit of a blending of those rules to sort of distribute that more evenly? I don't really think it's fair and right that young children starting out in a typical average housing estate where they work in all the typical jobs that people do, which are highly valued, but not necessarily valued by way of the pay. And we should start to give those young people a better start in life and giving them some security through investment funds, through the taxation system, and distribute some of that wealth going forward. Well, that's a good point. Gentlemen, I do think that he is a closet socialist. And on that, we will actually move on to some of the local issues. But I think Trevor's got a point to make before we do. Go on, yeah, Trevor. Yeah, I've just noticed something. I've just noticed a book on Steve's bookcase there. I can't quite pick it out. I'll just magnify it a little bit. I think it Go says ahead. Lenny. <laughs> Lenny. No, it does not say <laughs> Lenny at all. I'm I not. thought, what's that other one next to it? Marx. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm in between. Is that Mao? <laughs> Good grief, good grief. No, I will clarify, I am a free market supporter. I just believe there should be an right. element of a fair distribution. Okay. So I will clarify, I don't have any of those books on my bookshelf. No, he has loads of them on his bookshelves, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Anyway, right, let's move on to something local. And uh, we've got uh, these uh, stories. I mean, the council, CWAC, have paused just as controversial active travel lanes. I mean, oh, and, and there is a petition (laughs) to ask for the resignation of the people behind that, Karen Shaw. Steve, go ahead. Well, yes, I've been following this actively excuse the phrase there, on uh, the Facebook page of the original campaign group set up regarding this. And I've actually put quite an extensive post out there today. By the way, I'd just like to clarify, I am not responsible for this petition. Um, although people would perhaps expect that sort of thing to come from me. It's not me. It's, it's on, actually, it's, Is it on uh, change.org, something like that? That's right, yes. And it's uh, it's Conservative councillor uh, Neil Sullivan. And actually, if you read the, the write-up on the petition, that actually makes sense. I will just say... What, you what, do, it makes sense that she should resign? Well, I followed this quite extensively, and I think the people who started the original opposition to this have been treated exceptionally bad by the council as a whole, and I understand some of the councillors too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there is an element of uh, consensus uh, in agreement whereby people tend to think that um, the, the the attitudes and platitudes coming from some councillors and the council as a whole has been horrendous to these people. And I agree, actually, to a large extent. Well, that leads us on to something um, still local, but very interesting. And this is going to be led by Trevor. Trevor, we have Investment Gate at Warrington Borough Council, sir. We certainly do, Jonathan. This has been rolling on and rolling on and rolling on from 2017. Okay. Again, I'll be as brief as I can. I'll just give you an overview of what's been happening. Now, around 2010, the local councils were allowed to borrow money from the government to allow them to build their own portfolios via a public works loan board. Now, 
This enabled them to buy commercial properties. So it's anything from hotels to shopping malls and putting the profits that they generate back into their revenue budgets. Now, I've mentioned in the past about Warrington Borough Council that the debt is at present, it's running at 1.6 billion. Yeah, billion, not million. And it, it's an estimate's at about 2.8 billion by 2023. Now, I've just had an update. For the about, council? For the council. The council debt by 2023 is estimated at 2.8 billion. I'll just give way to Steve. I'd just like to ask yes, a, a question on this. How on earth are the people responsible for this, Trevor, keeping their positions? It's horrendous. Well, Steve, I don't know. I've just had this update. I mean, literally just before we came on air. Uh, the council are voting on Monday to to increase the council tax by 5%, which is, uh, in Warrington, we're used to this anyway, because it's whatever percentage they're allowed to put it up. They always put it up to 0.98. But also, more importantly on Monday... They're actually voting, which is the council of vote, uh, on a, another vote to to borrow a staggering extra one billion. The council are going to borrow a billion. The council are going to borrow an extra one billion. You know, in Warrington, if you go onto the the council list of debts in the country, Warrington is already third in that in that list. Now we've got to go onto these. I mean, there's a lot of, obviously, everybody's throwing accusations around about dodgy deals, etc. Because we're not getting any information from Warrington Borough Council as to where this any gen, this generated money that they're getting, because they keep saying it's sensitive areas, it's commercially sensitive. Now, what, what's arose this week is over another, I think it was over the last two or three weeks, we've had two prominent figures resign from a, an investment that Warrington Borough they invested into a company called Redwood Bank. Now, oh, yeah. Warrington, Warrington Council, they borrowed £30 million to invest into this bank. Now, it was set up by... The bank was actually set up by a financier, David Rowland, and his son, Jonathan Rowland. The council invested 80% of the total of money to the bank for 30% of the shares. It's bizarre. Now... The shares ended up not being in the bank, but they were actually in the holding company called Redwood Financial Partners. Now, the, the council's connection with this investment has caused problems in the signing off of, the, of its accounts from 2017 to 2018. So obviously we get a follow-on from that from the following year. They can't sign those off until the 2017-18 were actually signed off. This has only come to light over the last couple of weeks about these two people resigning. One from the actual bank, which is Jonathan, which is Jonathan Rowland, which is a son of the founder, and he was co-founder, and uh, another chap off the holding company. So things are starting to look even more dodgy than they were anyway. Now, Mr. Minton Green, he's the council's deputy chief, chief executive and uh, director of the corporate services, says that it's a completely technical issue that's holding up the, the signing off of the accounts. Mr Green added that the council's initial target to receive income from the investment of this bank by year five still remains. Wow. So they're not expecting to get any return from the bank for five years, but he's still adamant that it's going to remain. But he said that in the future, in the future, he would expect the income to, uh, uh, but would not be, uh, he could not elaborate any further on the, the, the amount of income due to commercial confidentiality. Kind of big mark in there. Go ahead. Yeah, Mark. sorry, Mark. Yeah, just 
Yeah, well, I think this whole story seems to hinge on the valuation of the bank. Now, according to, um, was it Russ Bowden, is it? Or yes, Russ Bowden yeah. is the leader of the Warrington Borough Council. Yeah, yeah, now, he's still happy that this is this is going to make the money, but we're yet to find out the valuation of the bank. Now, there is a YouTube video which was confirmed in a Freedom of Information request from Warrington Borough Council. Yeah. I think it was Linton Green said the uh, he's the... Who's he? The deputy chief executive. He's the deputy chief executive. Yeah. He's just under um, Professor Stephen Brumet. Yeah. Yeah. Now he says he's val- there's a YouTube video where he says the bank's valued at 120 million, but this Freedom of Information request right. actually asked Warrington Borough Council themselves if they value this asset at 120 million. This was put to them back in November. We're in February. Still no answer. answer. That's right. Now, They're they refusing just, to give any information. On the value of the bank. Yeah, they just passed on the YouTube video and the Freedom of Information right. request. Now, the said, bank, we want your valuation. But yeah, well, the bank apparently lost two point three million in hmm. uh, twenty twenty. So it actually it actually recorded a loss. It's actually recorded a loss. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, like I say, these these two uh, the two main players have, have resigned uh, both within four days of each other from the eleventh of February. And something like the sixteenth uh, of February, I think it was. Oh, that, that, that doesn't sound too good to me. That no, no, it, no, it doesn't. I mean, this is a it's a massive sticking point, like I say, for the for the uh, the accounts not being signed up. Now, information's also surfaced as well that the, the founder of this Redwood Bank was a Mister Mister David Rowland, and now he's currently under investigation for his other private bank. You're going to love this. He's got a private bank in Luxembourg named Bank Aviland. Now, they've been under investigation since December of last year, but COVID's held it back a little bit. Now, Mr. Rowland, he used to be a Conservative treasurer, which, which for me adds even more intrigue because it's a Labour council. But he's also got links over this Haviland Bank uh, with Prince Andrew. The, the story's just emerging over the last couple of months. So that's one to watch as well. So, I mean, the main question here is how have we as, as a council Got connected with these people. Did did these accountants, the supposed, they're supposed to have advisors, have, have these advisors not looked at the information that's fully open to us on the internet? There's something, there's something brewing there, definitely. Can I bring Steve there? Go on, Steve. Yeah, yeah I just Steve, wanna, yeah. I just want to say, really, uh, the the first point to me is why is this issue of commercial sensitivity quite often? Utilized for obscuring transparency to the public with public well, that's money. It, exactly, yeah. It's it's exactly. incredible. I'm, I'm sorry to say this, but it's it's a it's an obvious point, which seems to have forgotten been you know been forgotten in the world of politics, that uh, there is no such thing as government money. There is no such thing as local authority money. It all belongs to the people. That's right. And the people have a a right, an actual right, to know what's being done with their hard-earned taxation that's collected. It doesn't belong for, to, to local authorities to play around with. And the other point is this. The council, you say there, is going to borrow another £1 billion. Yeah, the and yet there's, no account, there's, there's no accountability on £30 million that's gone into this, this organisation, this, this banking system, or what's going on there with that. How can we have a council authority that's borrowing such significant amounts of money 
with no accountability, seemingly no um, indication of return on these monies and investments, and debt being stacked up to the hills for the people of Warrington. My suggestion is, and it's clear, and it's very self-evident, don't vote for these people again, and they need to be gotten out. Exactly. Well, I think I think that I know a man that might be able to cast some light in it on it <laughs> if he is voted in in May. And I interviewed him earlier, and he is the prospective police and crime commissioner, John Dwyer, and this is what he had to say. Welcome, Mr. John Dwyer. Thanks very much for coming on to the show. We were talking about you last week. Yeah, thank you for inviting me, Jonathan. I really appreciate this. Oh, it's, it's great. It's great. Um, we were talking about you last week, and we were discussing an interaction that you had both in the Warrington Guardian and with Mr. Keane's response. So, John, can you fill us in on the details of what it was all about? Yeah, I mean, it, it really started with the fact that um, I was focusing as part of my campaign on just what he's been up to while he's been in post. But you remember I was voted out in 2016 as a result of the big turnouts in Warrington and Halton because mm -hmm. they've got local elections on as well, whereas we've got nothing in the south where our conservative strongholds are. And frankly, we just didn't get our vote out. Anyway, the result was that he won the election, which is fair enough. Uh, it's a, a, fair, a fair challenge. Um, but I wondered what he'd been up to since uh, I'd left post. And I discovered, because we've got access to government statistics, which are openly available to anybody, discovered that whilst I'd left him with an establishment of two, just over 2,000 police officers and a budget that year, the 16-17 financial year, to recruit uh, another 70 officers, in fact, it just allowed the establishment to stagnate until the autumn of 2019. But by coincidence, was the time when uh, the Home Secretary and government announced that they were going to uh, provide funding to recruit 20,000 extra officers uh, across England and Wales. Uh, and at that point, uh, bear in mind, we were then heading towards an election in 2020, which actually didn't take place because uh, of COVID. Uh, yeah, at that point, he started recruiting extra police officers. Um, and so I, I went uh, with a press release which said that he'd allowed this to stagnate. Um, and he denied that that was the case. He'd, he'd been interested all along in, in establishing more police officers for the, uh, to satisfy the needs of the uh, communities across Cheshire. So that's how the, the, uh, the, word, the exchange of words started. Um, but I maintain my position. My position is supported by statistics which are readily available. Yeah, I get you. And uh, is he correct in any of the statements that he's making? Um, he, he will always flavour them um, in a political way. So, um, for example, we all ended up, every house, I think, across Cheshire had a letter from him um, in the autumn of last year telling us how good he'd been because he'd now designated a police officer and a PCSO to each of the 122 local communities uh, which he'd promised. Uh, what he didn't say was where those officers have come from. Bear in mind that he hadn't recruited extra officers at that point and those that he had recruited were actually still going through training. So the question I then raised was, well, where have they come from then? Where have these 122 yeah. designated police officers, where have they come from? And my suggestion is that they can only have come from the sharp end of policing, from the response teams, which would have put, therefore, greater pressure on response teams 
So when you make a call asking for a police officer, they're going to be under under pressure because they're 122 light at the sharp end. Yeah. And again, yeah, you've dismissed, dismissed all that because it's all dressed up. And, and the point is that, in my view, is not clear and open. He, he talks about forever openness and transparency, and yet that's the last thing he's got is openness and transparency. You've got to really delve into what he says to see what's really behind the things he's pontificating. Yeah, I get it. I get it. I mean, th- th- there is going to be political uh, manoeuvring within within the responses, especially especially from Labour. Now, the story that we were looking at was actually done by Aaron Dillon in the Warrington Guardian, who are not known <laughs> for their for their conservative leanings, you know, at, mm. at all. So I know, I, and I'm not expecting you to uh, you know to comment on that. That's for us. He's actually saying that. He thinks that you're wrong in what you're saying, that you didn't leave the office. I mean, he said that you, he thought you must be joking. Now, what does he mean by that, John? I have no idea. Uh, that's something you really ought to ask him about. But uh, what I'll say to you is what I'm, what I'm declaring now are publicly available uh, information statistics from the uh, Parliamentary Library, House of Commons Library, they're there for everybody to see. So I'm certainly not lying. And what I'm doing is stating facts that they're there to be seen. So I don't know where he's coming from. He is a politician. There's no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. You hear him forever bleating on about the cuts that took place from 2010 onwards. Well, actually, uh, the reason the cuts started, the austerity measures started in 2010, was because of the, the poor financial state of the country in 2010 when the Conservatives and Lib Dems that took over government. Yeah, yeah. So we, we, we know we had to make some contribution. I don't actually agree that the Conservatives did it right. I, I don't agree at all with the cuts they made. And now, of course, the Conservatives have acknowledged that that was a mistake, and that's why we're, we're bolstering this, this figure by, by 20,000. But what I have to say to you is, in the, in the first uh, three, four years I would impose, 2012 to 2016, I actually boosted the figures of police officers to 2011. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's despite the austerity measures. So I was limited to a 2% cap rise in policing tax, the policing precept. Yeah. But despite that, because we were managing the force uh, well, we were able to uh, recruit extra officers to bring those figures back up. Now, he, he glosses over all that because he is a politician. Of course, he'll gloss over it. I understand that. Mm-hmm. The point is that we were able to do that despite the austerity and I left him a budget to recruit more, which he didn't do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he really hasn't experienced the austerity measures that I experienced between 2012 and 2016. Yeah. He's had, actually, uh, quite a, um, an easier ride than I had. But at the same time, uh, his, his latest precinct tax increase this year has brought the tax increase to 40% right. from, from 2016. So what has he done with the money is my question. He's raised the policing tax by 40%, but where, where's the benefit that the public have had over the last four or five years as a result of that tax increase? And I don't know the answer to that. That's what he needs to be put on the rack for to actually explain what on earth he's done with the money he's raised. Well, that's a good, that's a good point. Now, the elections are coming up. They're all going to go ahead. What are, what are your views and your thoughts for what you would do now if you were... Um, voted in as the Police and Crime Commissioner. Right. 
my, my thinking is I'm going to be certainly moving back to headquarters. Uh, he moved his office. It's another political decision of his to move from headquarters to Stockton Heath. Yeah. Uh, Stockton Heath, of course, is Warrington. He's retained his position as a Warrington Borough Councillor. He's retained his position as a Penketh Parish Councillor. Um, and for me, those two positions actually uh, create an area of potential conflict of interest. How can you be tied up with the Warrington Borough Council and Penketh Parish Council when you are the Police and Crime Commissioner for the whole of Cheshire? So <laughs> it, I, is a, it is a, an extremely strange position, sir, and we uh, have questioned it. We have definitely questioned it. Yeah, well, I mean, my, my view is when I got in in 2012, I was uh, running a, a business security and management consultancy business, which I completely stopped uh, and moved away from it because I wanted to focus on the role of police and crime commissioner. Yeah. The way the way I was running it, it was a full-time job. I was doing 60 hours a week uh, to make sure that the needs of the communities across Cheshire were properly being met. Yeah. Um, I don't think that's happening now. I don't know. That's something that you'd have to put to him. But certainly, I don't know how he could do that because he's got these other roles as well he's performing. So, and there are these, these potentials for um, conflict of interest. And the, the major role of the police and crime commissioner is to hold the chief constable to account. Yeah. Now, the chief constable is based at headquarters. I was based at headquarters. Yeah. He's moved his operation away from headquarters, 18 miles away, to Stockton Heath. So the interaction can't be as good. That's correct. I mean, you, you mentioned Simon Burney you broadcast last week, and I yep. have to tell you that Simon Burney and I would regularly have morning coffee, not a formal meeting, just a morning coffee and a chat about the way things were going to, to share uh, experiences with each other. And as a result of that, we had a good relationship. It was certainly not cosy because we did have disagreements, yep. but, it, it, but the system worked. And that's because I was on site in headquarters to actually address those needs. You were right there. I said on the show, I, I thought you two were the dream team. Yeah, I understand that. Thank you for thank you for saying so. I say we we didn't always get on. We we certainly did have disagreements, and that's actually healthy because yeah. uh, if we agreed on everything, it wouldn't be a healthy relationship, would it? No. So one one thing I want to do then is certainly move back to headquarters. There's no cost involved because the property still belongs. To, it's in the name of the police and crime commissioner. There's just a, a removal uh, cost to move stuff over from uh, Stockton Heath back to headquarters. But I want to develop those relationships again with people in headquarters. So closer um, relationships at headquarters. Absolutely, absolutely. It, it's where it's where the job's being done, and I don't understand why he would want to be away from that. Yeah, and uh, your main focus on the way things are at the moment. What would what would you be looking to focus in on? Right. Well, I've actually done a calculation based on this uh, 20,000 extra officers which the government have said they want to recruit. And uh, at the time they said that, uh, the establishment in Cheshire represented 1.6% of the total police establishment at mm -hmm. that time. So, based on that, I've calculated that we ought to be having here then, in Cheshire, uh, an establishment uh, to, to top out at 2,320. So my focus is definitely going to be to ensure we get our fair share of those extra 20,000 officers to build the police establishment up to 2,320. Yeah. And that will that's the highest it's ever been uh, historically. And I certainly know that that will benefit the public and indeed the police service because I know police officers, uh, the men and women in the police, are actually working very, very hard indeed to cover the gaps that have been left. Yeah. And that relates that comment relates not just to the police themselves, but indeed to the police staff who are working behind the scenes to make sure that the service 
delivery or service being delivered to the people of Cheshire is first class. A, a great deal of time and respect for those people. Well, that's John, and we can honestly say that he definitely has the people of Cheshire and the police services and all the people that work for the police at heart. And uh, he's got my vote. He's definitely got my vote. Now, good luck to him. Yeah, good luck. Trevor, say good luck. Good luck. <laughs> he doesn't need good luck. He doesn't need good luck. He's a, he's a very nice chap, and I think he's going to do very, very well. Yeah, Mark. I really do. Mark? He sounds, he sounds very knowledgeable about the job, so I think he's the right man. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Anyway, we might have to give uh, Mr. Keane the right of reply, but... Uh, it just depends. It depends. Anyway, we're going to be moving on to a national article, which we were going to go on to last week, but there wasn't enough time. And this is about the government set to fine universities who cancel people due to their views as ministers defend British history and culture. Mark, have you got something to say about that? Yeah, some good news on free speech for a change. It seems uh, Education Secretary Gavin Williamson, get his name right, he's due to appoint a free speech champion to defend students and academics. And he's going to penalise institutions which try and cancel people to their views. That sounds good. Well, is there somebody that uh, had something to say about that, like this chap? Hold on a second. The declaration of war by the so-called woke left on free speech which has turned universities into places where free expression and free debate has been shut down by, the, by an intolerant woke mob, necessitating government intervention with a free speech czar in order to enforce free speech on campuses across the country. Mark, do you know who that guy is? <laughs> yes, that was left-wing agitator Owen Jones. Yeah. And he's spot, pretty spot on, isn't he, to be honest? I mean, the government were forced into action after a December report claimed more than a third. That's a third of all universities are imposing severe restrictions on freedom of speech. Wow. Can I bring in Steve there? Go ahead, Steve. Yes, it's a bit ironic that we've got a left-wing political commentator actually um, criticising the left elements of society uh, and universities for uh, removing free speech. I find this whole wokeism... Um, Ridiculous, to be quite honest with you. Every single day of the week now, we're turning uh, onto the media and there's reports of you can't say this, you can't say that. Uh, Rebranding and re-terming various things that people have identified with all their lives. And this idea, I'm going to bring this into this, this whole thing is a a, a myriad of a mess. It's to do with the um, erasing of our history and our culture uh, representing what people can say, what they can't say. So Keir Starmer is coming out, I believe, in favour of, um, uh, you know, reviewing all the monuments and statues around the country. Well, I'm sorry, get your hands off, Cheshire. You're not coming here doing that nonsense. You can forget it. <laughs> and we're not going to have this council. I'm going to say this again. We're not having this council. He's, starting on, he's on that digital soapbox. Go ahead. Reviewing our statues and everything across Cheshire. This is a nonsense. This left-wing maniacal (laughs) thing that's going on around this country is really getting people's backs up. We are British. We're proud of our history. It is what it is, and we're not having this anymore. It's got to stop. And the idea of the Labour Party flying the the Union Jack and trying to be British when they want to pull our history down and go around the country, looking at it, is a complete misnomer and a nonsense. 
There you go. There you go. Mark, come in. Come in while he takes a breath. <laughs> oh, brilliant. No, I'm right behind you with that, Steve. That was amazing. No, I'm just going to have to be fair to Owen Jones. I'm not going to take him out of context. He did go on to say that everything he just said was all made up nonsense, but then weirdly went on to interview a guest who basically argued how the left shouldn't debate this issue as they should be busy deplatforming everyone with opposing views. It's oh just biz- it was just a bizarre podcast, honestly. Well, Gavin Gavin Williamson, right? He's you know he's going to unveil a free speech champion, and that free speech champion will have the power to defend students and academics at college campuses. You know the ones who are wanting to speak, you know, without being cancelled. The institutions trying to cancel the people due to their views will be penalised with fines. And ministers are also told that heritage groups, or they've told the heritage groups, not to use public funds for political purposes. Well, you know, I mean, it seems that they mean business. They've had enough. And, you know, Steve, we've had enough. You've been on your soapbox. You want more? Go ahead. Just a quick point. We don't need fines and we don't need government intervention. We have the Bill of Rights and we have Magna Carta. We have a lawful rights to free expression in this country. We have a constitution. We are able to express ourselves in this country. We are not some kind of dictatorial um, dictatorship. You mean uh, like, like Scotland? Well, we're not having it. Yeah, this this is nonsense. We have protections and we have uh, rights. They, they, they don't keep on going on about Scotland. I mean, Andrew not Neil. <laughs> Andrew Neil was referring to it as a banana republic, and I mm-hmm. think you know for that. And we love our we love our friends in Scotland, but um, boy, have they got their problems. So anyway, so um, you know well. There, there it is. I mean, it's starting. The fight back is beginning. There's no doubt about it. You know, it is going to happen. And the war on woke has begun. Now, who's got our woke on the wild side tonight? Seems that like we're talking that. about woke, woke, woke. Right. Go ahead, Mark. I think that'll be me again. Okay, there was a few to choose from. But this week, it's got to be BBC Ski Sunday. Presenters Ed Lee and I'll say this one, Shemi Olcott, I think her name is. Okay. Apparently, they said Cortina in Italy, which is hosting the Alpine World Championships, is too white and it's not as welcoming as you think. I mean, that's some white guilt going on there, isn't it? I wonder if what? they said the same about the, uh, was it the Beijing Olympics, the Winter Olympics? Was that too Chinese? Was the Japan World Cup too Japanese? Or is it just us? I, I mean, I could go on, but you get the gist. Yeah, you know, more, definitely get the gist ob- there. Race obsessed, woke garbage, isn't it? You know, and uh, mm. Steve, you got your hand up again. No, I forgot to take it <laughs> down from before. So <laughs> I just oh, got a bit oh. overly fired up, so don't get uh, too don't excited. I'll have a little rest. Well, I, I'm going to go on to my, the public figure of the week for me has got to be Jolyon Morn. He not only did he win his case against the government and he forced them to admit that they'd broken the law, but also when the government tried to force massive expenses on him, he actually got the expenses capped to £250,000. Now, the government had expenses of something like a million pounds. And I mean, what, what is going on there? Because that's almost like a a type of bullying behind the scenes to say, listen, if you're going to take us on, it's going to cost you this much if you lose. Now, the Good Law Project are only a small concern, but they've got some pretty clever people there, and they've also got um, a donate button on their website. So it's Good Law Project, and they've got a 
donate button on there. And they are holding the government's feet to the fire. And they are winning. So they are, and he is, my public figure of the week, Jollyon Morn. Now we move on to shout-outs and shout-downs. And what are we there? What are the shout-outs or shout-downs this week? Who wants to go first on that one? Mark, go ahead. Well, I'm going to shout someone down this week. And seeing as I couldn't fit them into Woken on the Wild Side, I'm going to shout down Coca-Cola for asking their staff to be less white. Uh, that's just racist, <laughs> and I'll be honest, I'm sick of it now. So they've you... had them on diversity training. I don't know. How can they be Is less white? I, mean, have I, they got just, a, I don't know. Have they got a contrast button like a chameleon? You know, like they just <sighs> turn themselves down. <laughs> it's just annoying now, isn't it? Okay. Was that on Say what? What was that on? That was Coca-Cola, mate. Put the staff on diversity training. You've got to be less white, apparently. Less white? Yeah. Do you know who what, do you know who he looks like on yes. camera? I have to say this. Mark looks like um what was his name? Foxy? <laughs> oh of citizens what was citizen it citizen smith citizen power smith to power to the people <laughs> that cap on that's what he looks like it's going right over his head he's saying mm-hmm. right over his head steve oh. your shout out or shout down what is it well it's a little bit of both actually it's a little bit of a shout down to mike parry journalist all right who uh made some rather derogatory comments this week i believe on social media and it's been in the news and, and various things regarding the community of blaken i'm not going to repeat what he said because uh it's it's pathetic was it negative was it negative well it was i believe initially it was supposedly said with in, in a little bit of a uh, humorous context however he went on to later uh, apologize for these uh, comments and uh, I actually tried to get on Jeremy Vine and also talk radio um, to uh, put the uh, correct version of Blake or not uh, out there in relation to Mike Parry's comments. So I just want to say in relation to Blaken, which is a shout out and an acknowledgement, there's a lot of people here. They do a lot of fundraising. There's a group called Here and Now, the lady at the pub and does a lot of fundraising at the Wagon and Horses. There's a, load, a huge football community. There's a, there's a boxing club. There's all sorts of people do lots of things. And there's a lot of fundraising goes on for the kids and the elderly and mental health groups in this community. So, Mr. Mike Parry, you couldn't be more wrong. And it's a big acknowledgement to a lot of the good people in Blaken. Okay. Trevor, who's your shout-out or shout-down for? No, I've got a shout-out again this week. You've got a shout-out. Oh, this is, oh, it's gentlemen. Another gentlemen. And yeah. I am using the term loosely, right? Pray listen to Mr. Trevor Nichols. Go ahead, sir. My shout-out is Tipping Point. Oh, yes. Tipping Point, the TV programme. <laughs> it takes me back to my youth in the arcades on holidays. Remember when we used to go to Rill? When we had, when we had proper holidays, you used to take us a day to get to Rill. In the car. It's true. It's a true. Day. A day there. to get to real. <laughs> yeah, we used to go on a coach and it took us a day to get to real. And we'd spend half of our days in the arcades on the two penny machines. And that takes me right up to tipping point. I love it. Oh, why didn't you come to that wonderful place in Merseyside called New Brighton? Been there. Love it. They have arcades. I They're used to cycle to New Brighton every Saturday with my mates. Uh, but it only take you half a day to get there, you see, so it wouldn't be a full day out, would it, really? Steve, well, no, you, nev- Steve be- you never told us you had friends. I've got some, well, it's, it's, they, they don't like to make it public. <laughs> 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 uh, 
but they're never the same afterwards. <laughs> well, I can tell you, kidding. my shout out, and you're not going to believe this, it's going to Cheshire East, my shout out, because it, it's proposing some boundary changes, which would mean that Hanforth Parish Council will no longer be in existence. <laughs> oh, <laughs> And we won't hear anything more from Jackie. Jackie Weaver is gone. <laughs> yes, will, if, the, if the proposed the changes go through, was the man. I thought that I thought that might uh, might make you feel quite happy. I have been with that guy all along, standing up for proper procedures at the meeting. He was the real hero there. Right. Well, you've heard you've heard the bell. You've heard the bell. All right. And if you want to hear it again, here it is. There are the bells. Right. So, gentlemen. Start draining your glasses and let's get on to the positives. Who's the positives from? Let's go. Trevor, go ahead. Well, my quote for the week is, seize the moment. No, not that. Talking about a positive. Those quotes come at the end. Get your order right, you. Right, Steve. Oh, sorry, well, I'm not going to positive <laughs> Steve, you're no. positive. You was green fingers. That's gone yes. down as bad as me quote, that. <laughs> as, I'll well, explain, as I'll explain in a minute. Sorry, Steve. Carry on. Right. Um, sometimes I quite often do a quote, a positive quote at the end, but I've decided to sort of do a little bit of something different this week. And um, this is not going to change the world at all in a lot of ways, but what it will do is hopefully make people feel a lot better. And this is great for the kids, actually, all over the country. And uh, I've done a little poster uh, on behalf of uh, Cheshire Matters that uh, we could send to the council and lots of other organisations. And uh, it's to encourage people all over communities around Chester and Cheshire to uh, put nice planters out of bulbs and flowers in the front garden and brighten everywhere up. And just imagine if lots of people in streets all over the place did this, it would be fantastic. And it'd make people feel a little bit better. Something great activity for the kids. And let's brighten everywhere up for everybody. And I've actually called this, I've got a bit of a name for this idea. Okay. And it's called Let's Grow Together. Now, that can actually mean a lot of things. <laughs> you know, let's grow together. Yeah, well, that's positive. Mark, go I ahead. It's a nice little phrase. It I is. Let's grow together. together. Yeah, let's okay. Grow together. Mark, what's your positive, kiddo? I like that flower power. Yeah, uh, I've got I've got a quote from Winston Churchill this week. If I'm if I'm all right to start them off, and seeing as it was about free speech, it kind of relates to that. So everyone is in favour of free speech. Hardly a day passes without it being extolled. But some people's idea of it is that they are free to say whatever they like. But if anyone else says anything back, it is an outrage. Ooh. So Winston Churchill. All right. Okay. Well, um, my positive uh, this week is I'm hoping that the streaming inquiry, because you all know I'm a musician, I'm hoping that the streaming inquiry will actually find in favor of listening to the internet oligarchs who are now willing to actually look at new business models of streaming so that the musicians actually start to get some more money. So they're willing to look at it. So there's my positive. So anyway, for those people who are mixing their quotes with their positives, let's start ending the show. And here we go. Okay, so if anybody's got any quotes that they want to put forward, because this is where the quotes go. No, no, 
Okay, Trevor, yes, this is your your quote, your time, your quote. Go ahead, Trevor. I will start again. Seize the moment. Remember all those women on the Titanic who waved off the dessert trolley. Think about it. <laughs> Think about it. <laughs> well, I have to say, I don't I, know what to say. My my uh, my quote again is, "Thank God that's all over." Uh, you know, thank God. All right, next time, you know, we will try to be more organized, chaotically organized. Well, I'm going to say good night to everybody. Say good night, Trevor. Good night, everybody. And chest feeders. And chest feeders, as always. Say good night, Steve. Good night, everybody. Have a fabulous week ahead. Yeah, and Mark, Statsman. Good night, everyone. Have a good weekend. That was good. That was good. Yeah, we just say Citizen Smith, thanks very much. Okay, well, in that case, then, that's the end of the program. Thank you very much for listening, ladies and gentlemen. Bye for now. What happened to everybody there? Were they getting there mixed up with the quotes and the positives? It's got to be a positive. Well, you've confused quotes. everybody. This oh, week. it was me. Yeah. Yeah, because right. The, the, at the end, we do a You've positive, got... and it can be a quote or anything else. Oh, is that right? Okay. Yeah. See, I'm, I'm okay. more bothered. Who got off the Titanic first? Was it the chest feeders? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it'll be women and chest feeders first, won't it? I don't know. I'm confused now. I had no interruptions this week. I think George has done a fabulous job. It's only since Mrs.